0: Good morning, it's 11.05 on WSIC News Radio, and you're listening to We're Just Saying with, normally, Senator Vicki Sawyer and David. Senator Sawyer is not able to join us today. She is, she's out filming TV, Uh, so I guess she figured that, you know, radio, but I've got the face for radio, she's got the face for TV, so she's out doing radio right now. But do have in studio with me uh, Robert Carney, uh, Director of Client Development for Dual Boot Partners. If you'd like to be part of our show, 844-STUDIO-4, we are also live on the WSIC News Facebook page and on YouTube. YouTube. Robert, how are you doing? Wonderful, David. How are you? Doing great. It's great to have you here. So for those who uh, don't know, uh, uh, Robbie, in addition to you know being in the private sector now, spent a good bit of time with the in the, I guess we would call public sector, as it were, with a private partnership inside the Iredell um, County Economic Development Corporation and the Cabarrus County Economic Development Corporation. So given that we are the topic of the uh, day, week, month, year, and decade around our area is growth, growth, and more growth, <laughs> figured he'd be a great person to come in and actually have a conversation with and talk a little bit about sort of what he used to do, what he's currently doing, um, and sort of some things that we can glean from that. So Robbie, as we sort of jump into this,
1: uh, talk a little bit about sort of, how did you get into the economic development world? Sure, yeah. Um, I actually had, graduating from East Carolina University, my first jobs were in South Florida, kind of more business development, sales related. Um, But my hometown, Hickory, North Carolina, was kind of like my place. Um, Right at the beginning of the um, Great Recession, um, I got to see firsthand kind of what happens to markets that get overheated, that start um, investing in uh, what I will say, ways that that end, end up translating to a lot of bankruptcy, a lot of trouble. Um, I decided at that time to move back to North Carolina. I wasn't a part or associated with that. I was still doing business development. I was actually in the publishing uh, industry at that time. Um, but in doing so, I had built um, uh, a resume of being able to grow business. Um, I had met with some individuals, some stakeholders in Iredell County, and they immediately Thought that I might be uh, somebody that could shine a new light on economic development, and asked if I would be cons- uh, if I would consider actually kind of getting into this space. Um, fast forward after countless uh, interviews, interview process, stuff like that. I ended up um, being their number two in command for about a year, year and a half. Uh, got to mentor under a, a wonderful guy named Russ Rogerson, um, who's who's up in West Virginia running, still running economic development corporations. Um, and then I took the executive dec- and director role, ran that for about a decade. Um, and under that time, we had an amazing run. We were ranked number one micropolitan in the nation for nine out of the 10 years that I got to be a part of it. So um, got to do a lot of fun things, a lot of really unique dynamic ways to to challenge how economic development is done. Um, and those are the, some of the things that I'm, I'm most proud about and, and what Mooresville and Iredell County is today.
0: Oh, uh, absolutely. So like when you started in with um, Mooresville and Iredell County, and so for those who don't know, Micropolitan is places under 50,000 in population? Yeah, that's okay. correct. Okay, trying to remember what it was back from my days, uh, back in uh, Mooresville, whenever, whenever we uh, got notified that we had uh, given that debt designation. I was like, great, what is that? So I'm trying to remember what the population count was. But um, really, you saw an enormous amount of business growth inside of Mooresville while you were there, right? So I mean, we had companies like, uh, I believe, Niagara Water came mm-hmm. in, Carolina Bottling, um, Cardinal Glass, mm-hmm. NGK, uh, Lowe's Corporate, I believe, came in during that time. Correct. So um, talk a little bit about sort of when you got into Mooresville, what were the things that, you know, you when you were looking at trying to attract business to Mooresville, trying to recruit appropriate businesses. What were the assets Mooresville had? What were the challenges they had and how did you address them?
1: Yeah. So great question. So Mooresville was this amazingly dynamic community that had um, a board that was wanting to really aggressively grow in numerous ways and areas to grow jobs and and healthy tax investment. The, The thing that they didn't know was how to adequately present themselves to a global market. And that's that's the things that basically we worked on together is how are we looking at the real estate assets they had, basically land? How are we taking that land and making it really attractive to the things that make sense for us? So what we would do is we would work through, we'd think about workforce. What are the workforce capabilities at, at that time? And where were we trying to go? We would think about land and real estate as far as what is going to add the most value to the community that's not going to detract from things like quality of life? Um, things that aren't going to negatively impact roads and transportation infrastructure. It's really, really important of thinking about where exactly you're going to put your growth. Um, Mooresville was this community that was just really open to, to saying like, we know what we know, we know what we don't know, let's, let's, or, let's work together and figure out how exactly can we make ourselves a wonderful place to both Live, work, and play, and through that we had we had a lot of fun between NGK. I think we've uh, we built out two industrial parks um, totaling um, well over a thousand acres of, of property. You have Niagara Water. Niagara was a, a unique one just because at the time that I was coming in as executive director, the town of Mooresville had taken on this massive water project. They were basically had had, had uh, spent a substantial amount of money planning for their future and how are they they are going to manage water sources then comes the great recession all of this development slows down dramatically and now they have the um, cost of maintaining a massive water system without the usage they brought that to, to me and said Robbie we're looking for a a big water user my me and my team and a lot of co- other community members went to work came to Niagara at Niagara Bottling and basically made a case for why they should have a Southeast location. And then that became like this big project where it was really, you know, uh, publicized uh, across the state of North Carolina that Niagara was looking to put in their location. And ultimately after months of work and presenting and going through all the details and documents that it, it ended up landing uh, in, in Mooresville, North Carolina. So that was, that was a phenomenal project for It was us. an
0: amazing project. And then sort of, and then, so um, uh, what may, people may not realize is you started in the sort of South Iredale world, and then there was a sort of recombination, if you will, of the um, EDC's on that, and you basically became president of all of Iredell County's Economic mm-hmm. Development Corporation. So tell me a little bit about, so you went from sort of having a more a smaller area of focus to an entire county-wide. And to be fair, Iredell County is a unique uh, situation because southern end, you know, more urban, uh, more developed and then as you go and increasingly north and get past Statesville, much more rural, much more agriculture. So when you got into that role, how did you go about balancing where before you were sort of looking in the um, sort of southern region of County to looking county wide and balancing the responsibilities and the needs across the county.
1: Yeah, so I mean, to your point exactly, the the needs of of Statesville, Troutman, Mooresville are very very different, and and frankly, what the community wants for themselves was really different, and you have to understand what um, the residents what the workforce what what um, your elected leadership they each have a strategic vision for what they're trying to accomplish in their community and what you have to do is you have to think about that collectively and then build a plan that actually resonates out in the market so i always joke and say that if if an elected body in a community can give me a vision if you can point to who you want to be i can give you the roadmap of how to get there the hardest part sometimes is them figuring out where exactly they want to go. But once they get that part correct, and, and we help with that, once they get that part correct, you can put together a plan of how you can actually drive that type of growth, that type of opportunity. And that's really what we focused on is is the, the collective areas that Statesville, Mooresville, Troutman really had a lot of things in common and how we could actually build strategic plans that really matched who they were trying to be both short and long-term for the future.
0: No, absolutely. And I think what, I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Each community had different needs of what they were looking for, what they were looking to be. But much like when we're kids uh, trying to figure out what we want to be when we grow up, and some of us are still figuring it out. I, I, I just recently figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up. <laughs> so it's actually been a little bit while, but it's the same inside of communities. The idea of figuring out, hey, this is where we want to be. This is where we want to go. And then having a collective vision, but also keeping a, a succinct vision through multiple elections Cycles always runs a little bit of a big challenge. You're listening to We're Just Saying on WSIC News Radio. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back to We're Just Saying on WSIC News Radio with Senator Vicki Sawyer and David. If you'd like to be part of the show, eight four four Studio Four. We're also live on the WSIC News Facebook page as well as uh, YouTube. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Senator Sawyer not with us today. She is out filming TV, um, and so I have in the uh, studio with me Robert Carney from Dual Boot Partners, client, head of client development. But uh, spent a lot of time as a head of economic development corporation first in Iredell County and then uh, you know, moved over into Cabarrus County. So it's interesting. Cabarrus County, Iredell County, similar in many respects, but Cabarrus, uh, when you moved over there, it seemed like uh, you know it was a little bit of a different animal over there because they were, I mean, even though Iredell County was going to be, Cabarrus County just exploding and was in the midst of an explosion. Whereas, you know, when you got to Iredale, it was like, hey, it, now we have a catalyst and we're moving. Cabarrus has been going for a long time. So when you went over uh, to be head of uh, the Economic Development Corporation in Cabarrus, what were the differences and what were the new challenges you faced in going over there?
1: Yeah, sure. So. um Cabarrus County was, so it's five cities make up Cabarrus County, Concord, Harrisburg, Midland, Mount Pleasant, and Kannapolis. Um And they were already well into like this, this growth or this growth momentum. What they wanted to do was pivot what, what they were becoming. And so they brought me in they said robbie we would love for you to the magic that you were able to generate in in Iredell county if you can help us replicate that and they were really amazing as, as far as saying like we are an open book show us the direction and, and we'll we'll find a way to get there what they were and what they were becoming especially with the i-85 corridors they were becoming this massive warehouse distribution center um for for the greater charlotte and southeast and they said while that's great that we're, that we're there and we've got all this interest. We want to be more than that. We want to be something different that really increases the quality of job output as well as the tax investment. Warehouse can be very, very lucrative, but at the same time, um, sometimes whenever you're talking about job quality and jobs, um, it can be very limited um, as well as the, the ongoing tax investment can be very limiting. So we worked together and started focusing on how do we pivot them to more headquarter type locations more advanced manufacturing and kind of leaning on the workforce that Charlotte provides. And when you say advanced manufacturing, what is when, when what is
0: advanced manufacturing? Yeah,
1: basically, it's think of it uh, think about it as individuals with advanced skills. Okay, so it's it's a uh, the workforce itself has to be trained in how to do something that's that's relatively non-standard. So think university, technical training, technical training schools, um, mentorship programs, things like that. The reason why those are important is because t- they typically demand higher wages, higher salaries, more stable income for for the individual and the family. So um, so that was our focus: is how do we pivot the community and start capturing those types of opportunities? And that's through once again, understanding who you are, mm-hmm. having a clear vision of where you wanna go, all of a sudden the map gets really clear for, for a team like mine and, and the team that I got to work with of going out across the country, across the globe, and starting to showcase all the assets that we have to start driving projects in that made a lot of sense for, for those types of things. One of the most recent ones that I think um, the audience will be aware of is, is Eli Lilly. They've put together a multi-billion dollar um, biopharmaceutical manufacturing facility that is the byproduct of really good strategic planning and then going after the things that make sense for your community so that's one of the it's it's unique it's one of its kind um for this side of um of North Carolina. It's more known to the RTP, but this is the first of its kind actually coming to Charlotte. So there's nothing else like it.
0: Absolutely. And I remember um, when you were um, head of the Economic Development Corporation there in Cabarrus, I remember you took um, a fairly extended trip um, over to China. So China, obviously a lot of investment um, in the US, obviously a lot of products coming from China, but I think a lot of people don't realize the amount of investment and mm-hmm. sort of business that China was doing inside of, um, inside of, you know, United States and North Carolina specifically. So when you were there' like what what exactly gets you to over to China to talk about talk with business <laughs> folks there? Is it like is it an email? is it a phone call? like is it what what is it that that gets you over there with
1: with leaders and things like that to have conversations about businesses? Sure, yeah, it's all networks and relationships. so it's it's understanding how decisions or how these large like corporate decisions are made and then understanding the networks that they flow through and then basically working with them. So just like you everybody knows a real estate broker there's real estate brokers exist but for really, really large companies. And then you have um, uh, government entities that you work through, a lot of different uh, entities that all facilitate these types of things, working through them, making sure they know very plainly who you are, who you wanna be, and why you make sense for certain areas of industry. That's how all of a sudden it starts leading to these types of, of opportunities generated. So so yeah, I, at, at times I was over in China, I was in South Korea, I was working with some really, really substantial projects that were looking to, to locate in Cabarrus County. So one of the things that's always fascinated
0: me is, you know, I grew up in the mountains of North Carolina. And so um, going from the mountains of North Carolina down to Charlotte was a bit of a culture shock for me. Coming out of there, talk to me a little bit about going from North Carolina to South Carolina Korea or to China and how you culturally do business outside of the United States in some of these countries like what do you do to prepare how, what are the questions that you ask how are you i mean is it you know go on in Google how do I do business in South Korea like what is it that you have to do to set yourself up
1: I mean yeah there's there's plenty of stuff that you do to prepare I mean the funny thing that I've done is I always look for a place of commonality or something that will be understood so For one particular uh, Chinese-based company, it was a Chinese-based headquarters that wanted to move their their global headquarters to, to Cabarrus County, I knew that Michael Jordan is a global brand, and at the time, with his ownership of the Charlotte Hornets, I literally pointed to Uptown Charlotte and said, Michael Jordan and the Hornets are here. Your site is here, and from me making that simple silly statement the entire dynamic of our conversation changed because the entire team they're like oh that, huge fans of Jordan huge fan of, of fans of the Charlotte Hornets and from every, uh, from that point forward we had a point of commonality that we could actually start building a relationship so it, I mean silly things like that that you do to try to find this way to connect with with potential opportunities then from there everything starts to blossom uh, as you start to find that the things that motivate them the things that your communities are looking for and you start really playing matchmaker at that point.
0: So once you've gone over there and you've sort of seen what they're looking for, they've, you've had, you made connections, you seem to have like built a good rapport, then you come back. Right. And you have a um, elected body that mm-hmm. you've got to convince. You've got probably uh, economic de- investors with your economic development corporation that you got to convince cities, uh, potentially, uh, mm-hmm. depending on where you're looking to headquarter this. How do you bring that back and how do you structure the conversation um, in order to get people on board with, you know, doing what's necessary, infrastructure investment? You know, we talked earlier about water um, and Mooresville's water system. The infrastructure investment required tax incentive, um, you know, required because you obviously you're not the only. Um, you know, bell at the ball, so mm-hmm. to speak. There are other people they're considering. So, how do you have those conversations, and how do you try to set it up to to ultimately win the day?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, you you have to be very, very methodical about understanding what the community is looking for and what's important to the community to make this a win for you, and then obviously understanding what the what the business will need for them to be successful, and then basically finding consensus on each and every one of those things. So, whenever we talk about um, traffic and transportation understanding what is the impacts that this company is going to have, and then what are the needs of the community and making sure that the impacts that, that this company is gonna have are properly mitigated and you're finding the right funding, the right granting, So it doesn't create a problem for the community. It doesn't create negative impacts. Um, but then when you're talking about utilities, infrastructure, workforce, all of those things you are at the table with stakeholders, with community leaders, talking to them, educating them, getting them to really understand what this company represents, what they're going to do that's a positive benefit. And then really outlining what are the things that are go- we need to make sure that we're focused on that could be a negative and minimizing those, figuring out how you get ahead of those challenges, whether working through infrastructure challenges, land use challenges, um, uh, utilities, roads, things like that getting far ahead of those, typically what you're gonna do is you're wanting to use the revenues of that particular project to basically improve the quality of life of the community. That's what you wanna do is you're really trying to leverage that, all the good things that they bring to increase and enhance the quality of life a, there's a lot of conversations I have to do, uh, that go into that process, and a lot of working with your your local stakeholders to figure out how exactly can we best do that. When you go in and have these
0: conversations, obviously you had them in Iredell County, you had them in Cabarrus County, um, you know, and obviously um, you were, um, you know, you spent a lot of time with the Charlotte Regional Partnership as mm-hmm. well. Um, and so, you know, one of the I guess the thing that Cabarrus and Iredell County have in common is they both border Mecklenburg County, mm-hmm. and the the growth that they see really is an offshoot of what is happening in Charlotte, right? And moving Moving up, what is the sink, and so in one of the things I have found in Ardo County and in Cabarrus County is, is that we don't, we, sometimes you don't like Charlotte, sometimes we don't <laughs> want that. So like, what is, what What was sort of the biggest pushback you saw, you know, a, you know, in each county, you don't have to name names or anything like that, but what was the biggest challenge you felt like you had to overcome in order to bring what is a great economic development opportunity into a county, but you're getting resistance?
1: Um. Yeah, as I say, so. so- First off, each community basically always feels like they're the redheaded stepchild. Like every, it doesn't matter. Every community feels like they, they are being slighted by somebody else and we have to work despite that, that, uh, entity. And so I always kind of, that made me chuckle through the years. <laughs> um, but yeah, collectively, everybody feels like, you know, the, um, focus, the attention and the resources that Charlotte gets at times sometimes is out of balance with, with the needs, um, from Charlotte's standpoint to some of the, the, um, outer ring communities, um, I've seen a lot of that as as far as what is Charlotte trying to do and accomplish and what is our strategic plan based upon that? Because they are going to have a lot of impact and influence. What I found is really working with Charlotte and having great relationships, understanding where they're trying to go and where that makes sense for your community moving forward and where it doesn't make sense. So um, once again, as Charlotte was exploding, um, you had Concord that was all of a sudden becoming this distribution hub for Charlotte. They didn't want to be that. They mm-hmm. made it very clear. They're like, distribution is important. It's wonderful, but we need to be more than this. And so working with that knowledge in hand, you could start to pivot the community to a place that's that's much better for them. I- um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No. Well, no, I was just going to say, and I think that's one of the
0: things that um, you people don't get. It's like, you don't want to be just, like you said, they didn't want to be just that distribution center. You also don't want to be just a bedroom community. Mm-hmm. You don't want to be somewhere where people just live and then commute into Charlotte, right? Not at and all. And I think a lot of times people, you know, when you start to get out, right? It's like people, I mean, if you've driven down I-77, you see them going down all the time, but you want to be more than just that business community or more than just the bedroom community because you want people living, working, and playing around you because that's tax revenue. Mm -hmm. And that's less traffic because if they're staying with you, they're not going down the interstate and you get the tax revenue. Absolutely right. (laughs) That's
1: beautifully stated too. Thank you very much. That's why they pay me the big
0: bucks. You're listening to We're Just Saying on WSIC News Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to We're Just Saying on WSIC News Radio with normally Senator Vicki Sawyer and David. Senator Sawyer off filming TV, though rumor has it she may be calling in here for the last segment. We'll have to see if she gets uh, off air in time, as they say. But if you'd like to be part of our show, 844-STUDIO-4. We are streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page as well as YouTube. Uh, I've been talking with uh, Robert Carney from uh, Dual Boot Partners, uh, previously of the Iredell County and Cabarrus County uh, president of the Economic Development Corporations in each of those counties. So you took sort of an interesting step um, after Cabarrus County. You went from trying to recruit businesses into um, each of these counties to actually going to work for Dual Boot Partners, where basically you're helping build businesses now. So talk a little bit about that transition and what you've been doing at Dual Boot.
1: Yeah, and I think right before the last segment, you you hit it perfectly. When you were talking about what community vibrancy, it's, it's, it's not about um, individuals getting up and then going – out of community to work. It's really about what are you doing organically to spur innovation, entrepreneurship, things like that. Something I've I've been very, very passionate about. And so that passion led me to the private sector, which is basically a company called Dual Boot Partners. So custom software development entity headquartered here in Charlotte. Um, Incredible company that basically everybody that has a technology-based concept that they're looking to build, develop, scale, We basically consult and execute that vision with them in partnership. And so hence the name Dual Boot Partners. Mm But um, I've been with them for about two years now. Um, They're an exceptional company. We're just, you know, I I like to say um, every year they come out with the Tech Fast 50 around Charlotte. Almost half of those companies are partnered with us in some way, shape or form. So we really we like to think we're the entrepreneurs behind entrepreneurship these days because we're helping these guys kind of figure out. Find new patterns, new ways to build, develop, and scale technology. So, um, so I get to use all my economic development knowledge, expertise, and things—the things I learned from a macro uh, point of view—and I get to apply those strategies, that those things, to the entrepreneurs today. And it's really, really fun. It's one of the things I love.
0: Oh, absolutely! And one of the things that's interesting is—is is today, pretty much any new business that started with, you know, notable, with very few exceptions, is a component of tech. Mm-hmm. right i mean you either need to have the facebook page and the the website to get people out to you you, you know an app um, or you know ways to communicate and things of that nature so when you have businesses that are come to you and have a concept and an idea how do you take them you know because i'm sure they come in and say hey i've got this idea for this great technology it would do this it would do that sort of what is your process from carrying them through sort of the basic premise that they have through to an actual marketable and sustainable technology they can build a business around?
1: Yeah, so that's a great question. So, and this happens literally almost daily to, to me and my team where we'll have somebody with an idea and or concept. Typically, what we like to see is we ask them about what kind of industry knowledge do they have and then what kind of access into that industry. Um, if they have those two things, that's a great start. Um, what we'll do is we'll help them through the process of vetting a concept. We'll build this uh, what is a prototype okay and we do that very cost efficient way but we do that specifically so that they can go and test it they can test it against the market they can go and see is this something that people it's resonating with the market do people actually like this do they want this would they actually spend money for it if we start checking those boxes um you know that you're on to something and then we'll play at at times um we'll play matchmaker with the market where we'll line them up with vc investment angel investment seed round investment things like that we'll put them in the uh, in the path of progress to help get them started in that endeavor with doing so once we've we've got them funding we've got they're in a good place From there, we'll actually start the development. That typically takes between three to five months. We've got something in market now, and now they're actually growing a user base. Um, Once they do that, kind of the sky's the limit. Let's see how fast we can really get in market capture with that product and get it scaling. So let
0: me ask you something. When people come in and they have their concept, right, they're looking to build, uh, you know, I'm sure you have big companies that'll come in, but you know, the average user who's looking to come in and just build a small business, right? Mm -hmm. They've got, they put away some money, they've got got what they think is a great concept, they're ready to. build a small business, hopefully keep it headquartered in their local community um, and everything like that. What are some of the bigger misconceptions that they come in with that you sort of have to, um, for lack of a better term, rain on a little bit to, because a lot of people come in, you know, sky's the limit, really excited. And then when you start to get in from the strategic to the tactical, it can start to get a little frustrating. So what are some of the common things that sometimes you have to bring people back to level set expectations?
1: Yeah. So there's two that really come to mind that, that jump out is the first is, um, is, is a current one. It's the use of AI and machine learning. Everybody that comes to us today is basically like, oh, we're going to use AI and it's going to figure out. What most people don't fully understand whenever they talk about AI is to use any type of true like machine learning technology. It's kind of like birthing a child. Machine learning, they forget this very key critical piece to that, it's called learning. It actually has to learn for it to be correct. And that's a big thing that most people, they automatically today and today's nomenclature assume, like, I'm just gonna, you know, input some AI or uh, machine learning algorithm and everything's gonna be peaches does not work like that. There is a whole learning curve. And typically so there's you're a lot of it's a game. little
0: more complicated than like going out to chat GPT and saying write me a poem based off of this. That's funny.
1: As yeah, I <laughs> say, yeah, yeah, it's you, you can do it. But it if you're in an industry or something that has to be correct 100% of the time, as I say, that's the biggest problem is you can you can start leveraging machine learning, but you have to give it the grace to be wrong because that's the learning part of it. It ha, it, it gets better as it grows. And you got to give it some time for it to grow. And A lot of people don't just they don't see that piece of the puzzle. The other thing I see all the time, ideas, everybody's got an idea. Their ideas are you know, a dime a dozen, everybody's got them. It's the founder, it's the person that's actually wanting to build something, having the wherewithal to really invest themselves in the concept and watch as an idea or a concept faces challenges, faces obstacles, how they start to pivot that idea because everyone does. It always, everybody has a great idea as they take it to market they'll see that something that they didn't see is now in their way and how they continue to push how they continue to pivot that idea how they and conti- continue to maneuver that's what makes all the difference so Ideas are easy. If you just have an idea, well, that's great. That's a really good start. But do you have the intestinal fortitude to take that idea to to really making it something um, phenomenal? That's 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 the big difference maker. And I try to tease that out whenever I'm working with entrepreneurs.
0: So in the market right now with people bringing things to you and everything like that, um, what are the sort of the headwinds that people are facing right now in trying to get things off the ground?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Just funding, as I say, with with what's happened recently, we went through kind of a renaissance of, of early stage funding where it was it was much easier. Um, if you are a an entrepreneur that has some past success or had a lot of things that you have done very well, typically you could you could secure funding. That has become very, very limited. Um, we think that's gonna be relatively short-term. Actually, we're already starting to see some, some tailwinds coming back, um, but that's probably the biggest challenge that we're seeing is individuals that are still at the earliest stage to where they haven't proven that they've sold it or there's necessarily a market for something that are asking for third-party funding or outside entity funding that are having challenges with that. We're trying to help them revise their messaging early, you know, kind of guerrilla tactics ways to show that you actually have something that resonates with the market um, is where we're, we're trying to help them focus their energy so they can build that user base to capture funding. But that's where most of the uh, the headwinds are today.
0: Gotcha. And when you when when you advise these folks, you mentioned earlier that, you know, people come in with a concept and some like of that and you'll actually, you know, help connect them with um, angel investors, VC and things like that. When you're talking to someone who says, yeah, I've got an idea, I've got a marketable concept, I feel like this is going to be great, but I need the funding, and they're connected to, you know, going to talk with a potential investor, what is it that they have to make sure they're going in and, and communicating clearly to get buy-in from an investor?
1: Yeah, I mean, basically that there there is a proven market And that there's a proven demand for for what they're the the concept that they're trying to execute on. Um, And there's a lot of creative ways to do that. A, A lot of times they think they need to have this fully built out product or whether it's a software application or app on their phone that it has to be built out before you can prove it. No, no, no. There are easy, simplistic ways that you can basically start proving that there is a model that works. Um, and a lot of times the VC they're looking for that, or the angel investor they're looking for that. If you can't actually build out the whole thing.
0: All right. And real quick before we go to break, we do have Representative Jason Sain, I believe, calling in to the Senator's show. Obviously, she's not here, so he's come to take over. Senator, uh, Representative Jason Sain, how are you doing this afternoon, sir? <laughs> well, I'm great. Not here to take over. Just to say. Uh, hello to both of you guys, uh, nice surprise, I, I hadn't been in the car, been able to listen and uh, tuned in, heard you on, heard Robbie, and I just want to say, you know, uh, I appreciate, I know you've been talking about economic development, because you got Robbie Carney on, and, uh, and look, man, he has done more for this region, uh, not just uh, at Mooresville or Cabarrus or wherever, he has done more for this state, for this region. On economic development than, than most elected officials, he is uh, on top of it. And just want to say thank you. And I I, I heard his voice. I was like, man, I, I, everybody ought to know just just what a great job he has done. Robbie, thank you. Thank,
1: thank you so much. Sir. Thanks for everything. Yeah, same for calling in.
0: Well, wow. and, and so obviously the, obviously uh, you uh, put the feelers out to get to people calling in, bucking you up. I, I appreciate that. <laughs> You're listening to We're Just Saying on WSIC News Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to We're Just Saying on WSIC News Radio with Senator Vicki Sawyer and David. If you'd like to be part of our show, 844-STUDIO-4, we are streaming live on the WSIC News Facebook page, as well as YouTube. We have been uh, talking with uh, Robert Carney from Dual Boot Partners about economic development, small business innovation. I do need to have, I have a bone to pick with our engineer, though. It says your host, Senator Vicki Sawyer. I really feel like, you know, we are live from Studio C, C for Kobel. I feel like I should be host. She should be my co-host. And I don't say that in any way because she she is on the line calling in. Hopefully that doesn't get me fired. Senator Vicki Sawyer, how are you today?
2: Hey, I'm fantastic. Thank you guys for holding it down.
0: Oh, hey, we for do me. what we can. We do what we can. So you've had a big week. And of course, you just got off, I believe, filming TV. As I told our listeners, you have the face for TV. I have the face for radio. So we make a great combination <laughs> when you have to go out and do those things. But it was a big week in Raleigh for uh, veto overrides. Is the uh, General Assembly still undefeated in the veto battle?
2: We are undefeated. We did six in one day, which my understanding is a record. Um, and I understand that Governor Cooper is basically just going to veto everything we send to him at this point um, and just, you know, give us that extra step. But, yeah, these were some really heavy pieces of legislation that we um, had worked on and needing, and one that I've been championing is the fairness in women's sports. So I'm just protecting women and women's sports, and now in North Carolina it's become law that uh, biological men, will not be playing in female sports, um, both in K through 12, but also at the collegiate level.
0: And that is fantastic. And you really have been a, a leader in that from really the beginning on this. Um, obviously, you were. Uh, you know, you you played uh, you know sports. Um, you know, growing up, and so I know the passion that you had around this was key. And so, and then I think it's something we talked about at the last show. It was still amazing that this was a point of controversy. That this was something that could even be controversial. But you really hit some headwinds and everything like that. So to get this through, to get the veto override done, huge credit and and, and congratulations to you.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for that. I, I actually teared up on the floor when it passed because I was just so passionate about this. Because really, what is on the line is the structure of all of female sport. If so, uh, Sylvia Haskell or Hatchell, excuse me, who is a UNC uh, Chapel Hill women's basketball coach for many years. She's in the Hall of Fame. Um, definitely, um, you know, independent uh, registered voter. I think, um, but she is. Pro women. And what she said is, as a college coach, she is paid and hired to win. If biological men are allowed to play at the collegiate level in female sports, then she's just going to give all of her scholarship money to biological men. And so, what we were saying and allowing for these uh, athletes to come in and uh, be in women's sports is that it was going to collapse the entire system and everything that we've worked so hard for as females. And I'm just surprised the amount of pushback that we did get. I mean, David, we were doing a press conference on the front lawn about female sports, and we had a bunch of folks there. Across the street, there were activists who were paid, by the way, paid activists to scream and yell, and all they could do is yell this F-bomb and that just obscenities, just loud obscenities at us, so loud, in fact, that we couldn't even be heard and have our own press conference. That is not substantive change. That is not how civil discourse should be done. They absolutely were bullying us, and we have had personal and uh, verbal attacks, not even just in our emails, but on our social media. The amount of just hatred and vitriol from these people who are activists in in this trans legislation is just surprising to me. Um, But no matter how hard they... uh, Yell and scream and call us names. I'm here to protect women and women's sports, and that's what we did yesterday.
0: You know what's amazing to me, Vicky, is is that you know we we are bombarded by the media that you know the Democratic Party is the party of women, the party to protect women, the party of women issues. And yet, in your you know uh, I guess we're approaching what sixth year through the sixth year that you've been in the Senate, you have been an absolute champion for women's issues, Uh, the marriage bill that you pushed, the transgender um, uh, issue, the women in sports issue. You have really been at the forefront of this, really dispelling the myth that, you know, Republicans, and especially Republican women, are trying to do anything but, you know, take care of women. And you really have made that as a forefront of the legislation that you've advocated for and pushed for.
2: Right. And so let's even talk about another huge women's bill that I was at the front of, and that was the abortion bill. And, you know, some folks who uh, look at it, all they hear is it was a ban. No, guys, it was not a ban. And in fact, it actually expanded abortion in some areas. And the back end that no one talks about is that there's about $400 million worth of um, money that is now going to women's issues like paid family leave. So before that abortion bill, if you were a teacher or state employee and you had a baby, you could have to use your vacation time or unpaid leave uh, to take care of your newborn. Now, both women and men will get paid family leave to go home and be with their um, their family uh, at that wonderful time of your life. Those kind of things they don't talk about. But, yes, I'm so excited for those type of issues in, in the foster care system and all the money that we're working in mental health. I mean, these things just get overlooked. And so, yes, as Republicans, we are making really – Big strides in helping women in North Carolina, and I'm just so grateful that I continue to be elected, so I can be a part of this um, this movement that we're doing.
0: No, absolutely. And so there were a couple other veto overrides, right? There was the the women in sports. There was the the, I believe there was the um, gender transition uh, bill. What were some of the other ones that you all overrode?
2: So yeah, let's go talk about that gender transition thing. You know, again, folks are saying that we just hate people who are transgender, and somehow they're conflating them, saying that that we don't like people who are transgender, but so that must mean that we don't like people who are gay. um, And and that is absolutely the furthest thing from the truth. It is not saying that these people are less than or not equal to or not loved by us as Republicans. That bill says if you're 18 or younger, you are not going to put permanent bodily harm to your healthy uh, sexual organs. In other words, don't cut off your, uh, you know, breast tissue. Don't have hormone-blocking things. I mean, Basically, this type of experimental treatment, these hormone blockers, are making and sterilizing young people at an early age. Now, we're, now at 18, if you want to do whatever you want to, you can go get a tattoo while you smoke a cigarette and uh, have hormone blockers. I mean, you can do all of that. That is not to say that um, that's a problem. But if you're younger than 18, do not make a life decision based on um, that you will sterilize yourself and never be able to have the greatest gift of all, and that's your children.
0: No, absolutely, 100%. And again, one of those things that you sit back and think, why is this controversial? Why does anyone have a problem with this? But um, uh, outside veto overrides, it is. Um, it, we are hopefully seeing the uh, end to the budget season. I know that uh, you and the other representatives down there have been have been budget-weary for a while now. Uh, where are we at in the budget, and is this, is this going to happen sooner?
2: Yes, so we are uh, looks like the corner offices are have got most everything um, hashed out between the two of them. now it's going back to what they call senior budget writers and chairs to uh, Find out the differences between the House and the Senate on what they call member request money. Um, That's where we're at. It's really positive. September 11th, it looks like, is what I'm hearing from Senator Berger's office is when we'll probably we'll see this budget. And it's just difficult. Um, You know, if you look back at history, even when the Democrats were in charge, they only passed a budget before July 1st about 40% of the time. So more times than not, the budget didn't get passed by July 1. So this is nothing new. It is, happens every year. It's just the process. It's just to speak of the process about it. So uh, grateful that we'll hopefully have it on September and uh, looking forward to it uh, finally getting it done. Um, so I know there's some folks out there who work for the state who are excited about getting raises, and we want to make sure that we deliver and make good on that.
0: In addition to the raises, what are a few things that uh, folks can expect to see coming out of this budget that uh, you think that uh, uh, make for, make for good fiscal policy?
2: Yeah, well, you know, something that's been controversial that I actually support has been Medicaid expansion. And so Medicaid will be expanded once this um, budget has been passed. Now, that is actually good fiscal policy now because the federal government has um, said that and continue to reimburse the state up to 90 percent of all the costs. Right now we have Medicaid. Um, We only get 66 cents back from the federal government. So this is just basically North Carolina standing up and getting their share um, instead of donating that money to other states. So that is something that's going to happen. And that's health care for those folks who are the working poor, who don't uh, qualify for um, what folks call Obamacare. Um, So they make too much money for that, but not enough um, to actually be on Medicaid uh, normally. So... This, these are people who need the health care and we're going to give it to them. And that's going to be something that I believe um, will be transformational for them and their family.
0: No, absolutely. So um, real quick, before we let you go, we, um, you know, now that you, okay. you know, you, you've gotten very good at doing the TV thing and everything like that, <laughs> like, you know, when you come in now, at what point when you walk into the studio, are you going to have an entourage? Cause I really feel like we're getting to that point, <laughs> a few hangers on some security, like, am I going to have to start making appointments with you? Are you going to tell me no eye contact? Yeah. Like, what are we getting into? What are we getting into here with your TV with your TV stardom
2: I think we're going to be just fine. I'm going to take the Richard Burr, Senator Richard Burr approach, and just be alone on my own. and uh, No entourage um, for me here. And with no socks on. It would be on. nice to have a driver,
0: though. Oh, you do? Yeah. It would be nice for you. I, I actually advocate for you having a driver. I have ridden with you, and what I always love to say about Senator sorry when I ride with her is that driving's just not a priority for her. And so... No. No. <laughs> well, Vicki, thank you for calling in. Hopefully, we'll be back together next week. But uh, great job this week down in Raleigh, and hope you have a great weekend.
2: Thank you so much, guys. Have a great weekend.
0: Take care. That was Senator Vicki Sawyer calling in uh, here at the last part of the show. So as we wrap up, I want to thank uh, Robert Carney for being with us today uh, from Dual Boot Partners, and it was a great conversation. It's something I would failed to mention, obviously, um, you know, when uh, when you started out the cash like, you've taken all this knowledge and everything like that, and you're actually looking to take a sort of sidestep back into the public, arena. Really. You are a candidate for office uh, in the town of
1: Cornelius this time around, right? Yes, that is correct. So really, you just couldn't stay away? No. As I say, I've got too much passion for for doing good things in community. So now I, I get the chance to, to potentially do that for, for my hometown of Cornelius and, and make a real impact, real difference. So I'm excited about that opportunity.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, best of luck with that as well. As we go into uh, the uh, weekend, hope everybody has a great one. Just a reminder, it is municipal election season. Just a reminder, you do need an ID to vote uh, in your municipal elections. If you do not have those, you can go to your uh, county board of elections offices and you can get one for free. They are good for 10 years. So highly recommend that you do that. I can't imagine there's a ton of those being given out because I still have I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't have an ID um, you know, over the age of 18, but apparently they're out there somewhere. So, But um, it has been a great time talking to everybody uh, this week. We hope everybody has a great weekend and uh, take care, be safe, and we'll talk to you next week on We're Just Saying. This is David signing off.